If you'd be kind enough to turn to page 696 in your church Bibles in front of you, we're going to be reading from um, Isaiah chapter 11 and chapter 12. Okay, page 696, starting at the bottom for chapter 12, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he see, hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the, the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. A little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of a cobra and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria and from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy will vanish, and Judah's enemies will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, nor Judah hostile towards Ephraim. They will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. Together they will plunder the people to the east. They will lay hands on Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites will be subject to them. The Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea. With a scorching wind, he will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. He will break it up into seven streams so that men can cross over it in sandals. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left for Assyria, as there was a way for Israel when they came up from Egypt. In that day, you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. 
The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day, you will say, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. This is the word of the Lord. Isaiah 11 and 12, I wonder what you made of it as we read through it. There's a lot in there. How can I do justice to all of that in, uh, in 25 minutes? Let's, uh, let's just pray first of all and see if we can hear what God is saying. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, you do speak to us through your word. Thank you for these two chapters of Isaiah. And we ask please that by your spirit you will teach us this evening, encourage us in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've got a long introduction. In fact, by the time I finish the introduction, I'll be at least halfway through. Uh, so don't panic if I'd say it's the end of the introduction. Uh, I'm going to be going through our passage in a big sweep using some pictures to skim through the two chapters. Uh, and then I'll look at it in the four sections that you'll see on the back of your service sheets. How good are the locks on your house and your car? If I told you that last week, last evening, last evening service, someone was seen in the church car park trying car doors and someone lost their sat-nav, would you rush out now and, and check the cars locked? Have you hidden away all your valuables? How secure do you feel? Years ago, in our first house, we woke up in the middle of the night and heard something. We went down to find that the telly had gone, valuables had gone, and we even found that someone had been in the room of our baby child and taken something from above the cot. I still feel the outrage and the anger and the violation. Why do people do things like that? Why are there such things happening in the world? Will we ever really feel safe and secure? And that's just theft. What about other crimes like heartache? The heartache caused by addictions to drink, drugs, gambling, sexual sin and materialism. How many people are hurt and abused and left wondering why this should happen to me? But what about the other problem that you might face? Who of you have been gossiped about? Or have any of you been falsely accused of some crime? Where your reputation is soiled and you have no way of defending yourself and letting the truth be known. I once went through a disciplinary at work, which could have ended up with me getting the sack, all because of a simple misunderstanding. Why do these things happen to us? I spent Monday afternoon this week with some inmates in prison, and some of them are angry 
at their sentences. They don't feel that justice was done. They feel the court case didn't do them justice. Don't we all want a fair hearing? If only God would put right all the miscarriages of justice, if only God would keep us safe from harm and deal with evil fairly. Now that's what we feel in a reasonably civilised, affluent culture, but can you imagine just how much worse things would be if we were expecting an invasion from an evil dictator whose army could kill anyone at will and take anyone else away as slaves? Well, welcome to the kingdom of Judah, to Jerusalem. You're surrounded by enemies who might invade and wipe you out. The Assyrians are brutally taking over the world and your brothers in neighbouring Israel are bit by bit being invaded and taken captive. And you wonder if God is really protecting you, as he said he would. So, worried as you are, you go down to find the prophet of God. You go to hear Isaiah. What is he saying about your situation? What's today's bit of the story? Well, he starts off with an old tree stump, with a branch growing from the roots, something like this but it's soon clear that Isaiah's talking about a person. The root is Jesse's root, which is King David's dad. Isaiah is talking about the royal ancestry and promises that promises a really special king. And you think, well, maybe it was King Joash. Could he be talking about King Joash, the boy king who ruled Judah for 40 years, who did right in the eyes of the Lord? He rebuilt the temple and did everything that the good priest Jehoiada told him to. And during his time, he defended the nation and won some great military battles. Is that the king that Isaiah is talking about? But then you think, it can't be. King Joash ended up abandoning God, even killing the prophet Zechariah. But then you remember what Isaiah was talking about last week. He was talking about a different leader, one who would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the one who's going to bring in an everlasting kingdom. Before you can work out who he's talking about, Isaiah's off on safari. What's wrong with this picture? In verse 6, it's not the lion and the lamb who live together, it's the wolf and the lamb. Funny how so many people get that one wrong. The peaceable kingdom. In 1820, an American Quaker named Edward Hicks painted Isaiah's peaceable kingdom. He was so caught up with this that he painted it 61 times. But he was never quite happy that he got it right. I don't know what you think. He has the... Let me see if I can point them out. He has the wolf and the lamb, he has the leopard and the goat, he's got the lion and the calf and the yearling together being led by a little child, there's the cow and the bear, can you see the bear in black there, with their child laying down together, they're eating together, there's the lion and the ox both eating straw, can you just, that's the whiskers but there's actually meant to be straw in the mouth there, and there are the children playing together innocently by the cobra's pit. And there's a child putting his hand in the hand of the viper. It's a picture 
of total peace. Total safety. There's no harm, there's no destruction. You've nothing to be afraid of. Everything is peaceful and friendly. And in the background, you have the Native Americans laying down their bows and arrows, talking to the European settlers, all at peace. It's a lovely picture. And then Isaiah tells us how we can find our way to this peaceful kingdom. There will be a banner, a sign that everyone will gather under. The banner of the king of Judah will again fly, and people from all over the world, people from all nations will gather together, together with those who are exiled from Judah and Israel, under the banner. Let me remind you a little bit of the history of the kingdom of Judah. This is a map of the 12 tribes. Do you remember when Joshua took the people into the promised land? They went over the River Jordan. Uh, and this is how they settled into the promised land. After they had battles, they, uh, they set, settled with the tribes of Gad, Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh on that side of the River Jordan. The other, tribe of, the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, Issachar, Zebulun, Naphtali, and Asher, Ephraim, just north of Jerusalem, Benjamin around Jerusalem, Dan, Judah to the south, and Simeon down here. That was how they settled into the, into the promised land. And they did well. For the first few years, they were under judges, and then they wanted a king, because they were surrounded by the, uh, the tribes, the warring tribes around about, all the, all the ites, the uh, Amalekites, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Philistines, they were being attacked. And so they wanted a king, and they had a great king, eventually, King David, the best king they ever had. And under him there was relative peace and prosperity. And under his son Solomon, they rebuilt, they, well, they built the temple in Jerusalem for a permanent resting place of God amongst his people. It was all going well. But they began to fight with each other. And soon the northern tribes separated from, from the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. The tribe of Judah and Benjamin were in the south around Jerusalem. And the other ten tribes were in the north around Samaria. They split under two different kings. And we're talking about the tribe in the south because Isaiah lived in Judah. And there were good kings and bad kings in Judah. They had 19 kings and one queen, all from the family of David. Some of them, some of them were bad. The evil ones, some of them were good and some were revival kings who led the people back to God, who restored the temple. This is a 400-year history from, this is Solomon's son, through to the last king, Zedekiah, before they were taken into exile in Babylon. If we looked at the picture of the Israeli kings, they would be all, sorry, not that one just yet, they'll be all along the bottom there. There's only one of them, uh, that wasn't put down as being totally evil. And all that was said good about him, Jehu, 
is that he wasn't as bad as the rest. But we're looking at Judah. So where does Isaiah come in here? Isaiah pops up around here in the reign of King Uzziah. Let's look at that in a bit more detail. Here's, here's two of the, the revival kings at the top. Amaziah then, Uzziah came along, 52 years reign. His son Jotham, 16 years, then the evil king Ahaz and Hezekiah. And that's the time that Isaiah was around speaking God's word. But before, before he was a prophet of God, Isaiah had another job to do. He wrote a history, a biography of King Uzziah. 52 years, he had a lot to write about. You find that in 2 Chronicles 26. Now King Uzziah had some notable victories over his enemies and he leads Judah in a relative time of peace. But Isaiah's life history of the great King Uzziah of Judah must have ended with a sad note because 10 years before Uzziah dies, he does something silly. King Uzziah gets proud in his old age and thinks he can break God, God's law and he goes into the holy temple to do the priest's job of offering incense to God. It was arrogant. And God punished him with a skin disease which meant he's effectively cut off from his people. He's treated as unclean for the last 10 years of his reign kept in a secluded house where he can contemplate the seriousness of his sin and the consequences of breaking God's law. So I wonder how Isaiah finished his biography. How would you write that for the end of this great king, 52 years reign, but he finished in disgrace? So when Isaiah talks about his testimony in chapter 6 of Isaiah, his story of how God called him, with these words, in the year that King Uzziah died. It was the year that the disgraced king was buried in a field next to the royal cemetery, not in the royal cemetery, because the people thought that the King Uzziah would defile it if he was buried with the other kings. And then Isaiah finds himself in the holy temple himself, face to face with God. So no wonder he shouts, woe to me, I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. But he's not punished as Uzziah was. He's accepted for his penitence, his submission to God's holiness. An angel touches his lips with a burning coal from the sacrifice and said that his sin was atoned for. His sin had been cleansed by God, dealt with. He was made innocent by the angel. And so he starts his job to tell the people God's word. Now King Jotham is in charge. Uzziah's son. What's he going to do? Well, not surprisingly, he doesn't make the same mistake his father does. He doesn't try to offer incense in the temple. In fact, he does what's right before God. He wins a great battle against the Ammonites and does a lot of rebuilding. The temple gate, the walls of Jerusalem, the fortified cities throughout Judah. But what is just around the corner for Judah and Israel? Soon the evil king Ahaz will come along. What will Isaiah go on to tell them? 
Well, first, while King Ahaz rules in Judah, the kingdom of Israel will fall to Assyria. And the remnant that survive will be taken away into exile over a period of 14 years, uh, 12 years, they're taken away to Assyria and right down as far as the Medes and the Persians, spread all over that area. But Judah goes on to survive for almost another 150 years beyond Israel going into exile until they're finally taken away by the Babylonians. But imagine that you're living in Judah in the middle of civil war and threats from Assyria and King Aram and Israel are ganging up against you and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know about this exile about to take place and you've gone down to listen to Isaiah and see what he says and it's like music to your ears. They're desperate for security, to be free from enemy attack to have peace with their brothers in Israel and to be brought together under a great king who not only does right, but he judges everything perfectly and calls upon God's help to keep them safe. And Isaiah seems to be saying that this Judean king is certainly coming. It's brilliant news. So that's the introduction. Now let's look at the passage. First section... Verses 1 to 3, the Spirit rests on him. Let me read it. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Every king in Judah gets compared to King David, the greatest king they ever had. And this one will be like David, coming from Jesse. He's also referred to in verse 10 as the, as the root of Jesse himself. Well, the root precedes Jesse. He's also referred to as the one who started everything. Isaiah is telling us about the one who planned the whole history of Israel the great creator, Jesus himself, who was around before the world was made. The Spirit of the Lord rests on him, giving him wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge. And finally, and most importantly, he will fear God. He won't grow arrogant or foolish in his old age like the other kings. He will delight to fear God. And that's just what Judah needs if they're to survive all the attacks from their enemies. A wise king who knows what to do, who can call upon God for help. Judah never had a king like that in its 400-year history. But we do. We have Jesus, the perfect king. Not only did he start everything off, but he came as a man. He was in the line of David. He did everything that God told him to in the power of the Holy Spirit. How the people of Judah would have loved to know about Jesus. Verse 3 to 5, he is the perfect judge. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth 
With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash round his waist. He will rule fairly. You can be sure of it. This judge will treat you fairly. Not by outward appearances, what you can see, not by hearsay, what other people might tell him, but by righteousness. He will always get it right. If you can't afford a good lawyer, it doesn't matter, you don't need to worry. There are two things that will mark him out. First, his absolute rightness. He won't ever make a mistake or get it wrong. No miscarriages of justice here. And second, he will be totally trustworthy. He won't let you down. Now for anyone who's suffering the effects of this sinful, cruel world, or anyone suffering the shame of a false accusation, take comfort that the king is faithful and true. He won't ever get it wrong or let you down. Verse 6 to 16, the way to the peaceful kingdom. I wonder if this is the future that you're heading for, where there's no hurt or harm. In God's peaceful kingdom is a picture of safety. You don't need to worry about the kids. They won't get hurt. There's no danger. There's no hostility. Those things just don't apply. There are three things that are different as we look at the animals. The predators and the prey are reconciled, first of all. The wolf and the lamb, the leopard and the goat, the lion and the calf, the bear and the cow are reconciled. But not just for one moment, it's for all time. We've got the next generation of the bears and the cows lying down together. Secondly, nature itself is changed. They all become herbivores. Lion no longer eats the ox. Or even the yearling, which is another way of calling a fatted calf, a nice juicy bit of beef. This is a Garden of Eden picture of harmony with man in charge, looking after them all, with God overseeing everything. And thirdly, the curse is removed. There's no longer any fear from the serpent. The poison's gone. 